thank you. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, now, before I start, I'm going to do some shameless cross-promotion. Um, a group of us last week went to Mitcham Community Meals, a group of some young adults and some not-so-young adults, um, and we cooked for uh, a group of people, um, mostly from around Mitcham or the local area, who come and have a um, free meal over at All Saints Church. Um, and in all the years I've been doing it, maybe three or four years, we've always had between 40, maybe 50 tops. And over the last few weeks, we've been getting about 70 people who've been coming in, people that I've never seen before at the program, young families. So there's a real need in our community for that. Um, and in two weeks' time, so I think it's the 17th, we're going to be going and cooking for the last meal of the year. So if anyone's interested in joining, there's not actually a lot of pre-preparation to do. They've got a lot of chicken and sausages, so we're going to do a barbecue, we're going to make up little salad bowls, and Mr Whippy's arriving, so we don't even have to do dessert. But if you'd like to come, um, I'd really love you to come over to All Saints, which is near Coles in Mitcham and um, join with us to share with the community, um, to celebrate the great things that have been done that year, but also just to connect with people who perhaps are less fortunate than ourselves. It's a really great opportunity to um, be God's hand and feet in our community. So if you're interested in that at all, I'd love to speak to you, or you're welcome to just rock up about 4.30, 4.30 at Coles, but I'll put something in the bulletin as well. All right, now I'm going to uh, start with a bit of controversy this morning, hitting the big topics. Um, I've got a couple of rules that I like to live my life by, and um, they're not biblical. I'll be right out there and say it. They're not biblical, but they're things that I really strongly believe in. And my first one is fruit should not go with meat. Is anyone with me out there? No one's with you. Oh, couple. Yep, I don't want your sultanas in my casserole. I don't want your apricot anywhere near my chicken. Fruit is for dessert. Do I hear an amen? Maybe over there? Yeah, okay, good, good. Um, yeah, I really strongly believe that fruit is for dessert and I know that it's probably completely culturally intolerant but I would like my fruit in my dessert, please, not with my meat. And the second one is, and here I am standing amongst all of this, Christmas is not until December in my book, okay? And I know, where's Nicole? She's with me. We talked about it last week. My boys were born on the 4th of October and when they were young, um, I remember about two weeks after their birthday, boom, up would pop all that Christmas stuff in the shops and I'd be irate. And then as they got older, it would be on their birthday and this year I walked into Big W and I swear it was mid-September and there are the Christmas decorations and I'm like, what is going on? Why do we start so early? And I guess for me, the reason that I don't like it is because by the time you get to the 25th of December, I feel like Christmas has been going for three months and it becomes so familiar. Um, and I have to be honest, when I got this passage today, I was a bit like, oh, that's so familiar. You can't have been in churches for too long without hearing this passage. And so I said to my small group about three weeks ago, please pray for me. I could not be less inspired by this and I'm really struggling to work out something to say. Um, if you type, well, like when I was researching this, if you type it in, in Sermon Central, oh, there's four million sermons on this and they all kind of say the same kind of stuff. So I'm going to be honest, I've not come up with anything new today, but my prayer is just as Christine prayed for me and as um, you guys prayed for me before the service who were there as well, that God would take this very familiar message and through his Holy Spirit, he would 
challenge our hearts and make it afresh and anew in our lives. So I'd love if you'd pray with me now to do that. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to acknowledge that uh, nothing I've prepared today is any good without you working through in your Holy Spirit to change us, to challenge us, and just to refresh our hearts on this beautiful message of how you came to save us. Lord, just pray that you would help us to put aside other things in our mind, just to concentrate on you and to hear what you have to say. And I pray that you will be glorified. Amen. All right, so we're going to read the passage again, just to refresh, even though it's so familiar. Have I broken it? Pointed at you, John? (laughs) Okay, thank you. So, uh, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, a favoured woman. Greetings, favoured woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He'll be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Oh, I've done it again. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of the Lord will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Okay, so uh, most of you know I'm a teacher and I teach a subject at school called classical studies. And what we do is we look at ancient Greek texts. We look at epic poems, plays, tragedies, comedies, historical um, accounts. And the kids kind of analyse them, looking at them through a historical lens. So it's kind of literature through history. And what we do is we look at the socio-historic context, um, what's going on to show us, give us a bit more um, information about the text. So I wanted to do that today. Whoop, yep. Whoop, nope. There we go. All right. Um, so what's going on in Mary's day? It's been centuries since God has spoken directly to his people and they're waiting for intervention. Um, they were waiting for a saviour, perhaps they thought a political saviour. And this is because they were under Roman occupation. Uh, and so there's possibly a feeling amongst the Jewish people of where is God? Has he forgotten about us? Um, you know, where's his promise to us? Why is this not coming true? And it's very similar, I guess, to that time when the um, Israelites were in Egypt wondering, why is God letting us suffer like this? Where is he? Um, if we zoom down a bit, we look at Nazareth, which is a, a town in Galilee. And I read in a commentary that Luke actually points this out because no one would have known where Nazareth was. Um, it's a nowhere town. Um, and in John 1.46, they actually say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So it's not a popular town. 
interestingly, Nazareth means watchtower. And so it goes back to that idea of the people watching and waiting. Where is God? What is he doing? Where is our Messiah? Um, but they certainly weren't expecting the Messiah to come in Nazareth. Obviously, it should be somewhere like Jerusalem, which is a really important town. And if we look at Mary, she would have to be one of the most insignificant people on earth. She wasn't royalty at all. And worse than that, she's a woman. And back in those days, a woman was totally second class. Um, They were hardly seen out of the house. They weren't allowed to enter the temple beyond the court of the women. Um, Women's testimonies didn't even count in court because they were unreliable and obviously couldn't tell the truth. they were not allowed to touch the scriptures for, because they would defile them. And it was frowned upon for men to even speak to women in public. And this is why Jesus is so radical in the way that he treats women in the Bible. Um, historians believe that Mary herself would have been about 13 to 15 years old. She was poor. She was illiterate. Uh, obviously wouldn't have been educated because she's a woman. Uh, and she's going to marry a lowly carpenter. So she really is nobody by the world's standards. And so that's um, why it's such a surprise to her when Gabriel comes from God and says, greetings, favoured woman, the Lord is with you. Okay, so such a shock for Mary. Um, And it says that she's disturbed by that. And the Greek word disturbed means stirred up throughout. She was really quite, what is going on? What is this about? Uh, And her response is to discern or to wonder what sort of greeting this was because after all that's the kind of greeting the Lord is with you that would go to Moses or to Joshua how's it going to Mary a young poor illiterate woman in Nazareth and then Gabriel hits Mary with a whole stack of information Uh, so he says to her you'll conceive a son you'll call him Jesus he'll be great and the son of the most high and he'll reign on David's throne forever which is a lot. Poor Mary, that's a lot for her to receive. I would have been freaking out if I was her. Um, So you'll conceive a son. Um, I'm a virgin and I'm not married. Uh, You'll call him Jesus, which I think is the most believable thing because apparently it wasn't an uncommon name in those days. Um, He will be great and the son of the most high. Now, this is probably one of the most shocking things for her because in in the Greek, it's made clear that this is actually God who will dwell within her. Yahweh, whose name they don't even say because it is so holy, will be within her. Um, And so that is quite shocking to Mary. Um, And also that he will be on David's throne and he will reign forever. So that eternal being obviously is not just an ordinary baby. Um, and so in spreading, instead of kind of going, mm, I don't think so, she says, how will this be? And I love her response because she's questioning, um, how is that going to happen rather than that's not going to happen? Um, so she asks questions to help her believe rather than to, to doubt the truth of the message. She believes, but she, she wonders, how is this going to happen? And she gets the response The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Um, 
And this passage makes it clear that Mary's conception will be divine. It will be brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, most commentators link this power of the Holy Spirit with the overarching Shekinah glory that you can see um, above the Ark of the Covenant. And also the um, spirit which is on the waters at creation that creates the universe. Um, And so the conclusion is logical. The offspring will be of God, not of Joseph. Perhaps easier for poor Mary to believe is that her elderly cousin, Elizabeth, uh, is no longer barren. She's able to have a child. And so another miracle um, that she will be having a baby. And Bev's going to talk a little bit about that next week. Now, we looked at this passage in our Bible study a few weeks ago, and Anne jokingly said, there's got to be some sort of gap between Mary's told all this and then she goes, yep, oh, I'm fine with that, let's go. Um, because it would have just freaked her out. She wouldn't have understood and all the social ramifications of being pregnant and what's going to happen with Joseph. And, um, and it's interesting, the commentaries that I read said that Luke must have actually sat down and spoke personally to Mary about this because there's so much detail about her response. But her response is such an example to us. Does Mary understand it? No, of course not. Does she believe it? I'd say yes. And what's most important is that she submits to it. In verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the word servant there is the Greek word doulos, which means slave or handmaid. Um, And I've read about this a bit before um, in the Psalms of Ascent, that that idea of a a maidservant. And it's this picture of a woman hovering around her master, being attentive, just waiting for her mistress to command something. She functions purely to do the bidding of her master. And this is how Mary describes herself. She doesn't question if it will happen. She waits, she watches carefully and she acts. She's going to act when she's asked. What a great picture of devotion to her Lord. So that's the passage. What does this all mean to us today? How can we apply this to our lives? How can we understand more about our God from this passage? And there's kind of three things that I've picked out. The first one is that God uses the lowly. The second one is God still loves his world. And the third one is his plan is not done. So let's talk about he uses the lowly. I've gone through how lowly Mary was, how Nazareth was just a nowhere town. And really, if you're thinking about it as a a human, what would you do if you were coming to save the world? Well, you'd start in Jerusalem. You'd come in as a powerful, you know, probably warrior male who everyone would listen to. That's where you would start. But no, that's not not God's plan. Instead, he comes quietly into the world born in a lowly place to a lowly woman as a vulnerable baby. There's no room for human pride in this picture. Take comfort that God uses the lowly and the weak to show his power and his strength. So today, if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling inadequate, maybe you just feel plain tired this time of year and unimportant, you know what, that's perfect. That is the exact person that God wants to use because they realise how much they need God to be used of him. Um, Maybe you feel that God is asking you to do something. Maybe he's challenging you to take up a new role next year, um, a ministry to be, um, you know, someone for someone in your family, a 
um, maybe you're feeling afraid to speak out and to share your relationship with Jesus with someone because you feel inadequate. You feel like, well, I'll only say the wrong thing and mess it up more. But take courage. We see in this story that God uses the lowly. If you rely on him, if you are willing to be his maidservant, he will use you. The second thing is God's love for his world. He came as a humble baby and I always find that really striking. We all know how vulnerable babies are, how needy they are. Um, And he came basically in such a vulnerable state and he died really in such a vulnerable state in a human sense. Um, He allowed himself to be pinned on a cross, to die in agony and to be separated from his holy father. And this was all set in motion from the time in our text this morning. And I think sometimes as Christians, we we struggle to understand God's love for us. Does God really love us? If I'm going through such a hard time or I feel like God is not really, you know, involved in my life, does he really love me? And if you are doubting that at all, I really pray that this Christmas you would understand afresh how much God loves you simply because he came as a baby, as a vulnerable baby um, to demonstrate his love for you to finally die on a cross so that he could have a relationship with you. If you're really struggling to understand that or to have that reality in your life, I challenge you to pray that this Christmas, God, through his spirit, would show you again how much he loves you. That through the story of Jesus coming as a vulnerable baby, that you would be able to really understand in a deep way how much God loves you and the lengths that he went to to, to rescue you and bring him back to himself. So pray and ask him to show you his love afresh this Christmas time. As I started with, this is such a familiar story. We can become so used to it. So my prayer for all of us is that it would be really fresh again this Christmas for us. And the last point is his plan is not done. Just as God's spirit hovered, hovered over the world in creation and his spirit hovered over Mary to create the baby Jesus, His spirit is still at work in today's world. It's hard sometimes to believe, but he didn't set this world in motion and just let it spin off into disaster. He has a plan. And while it might not seem like it sometimes, it feels like we're a bit like the Jewish people. Where is God? We're waiting for him to do something. He is not distant. So just as we looked at Mary's socio-historic context, let's look at our own. Um, I think most of us this year would feel really impacted by wars. Obviously, the the war in Ukraine and then most recently the war in um, the Middle East and how just seems such a hopeless situation. I remember running with one of the guys in my running group and we were talking about this and we got back to a point where we kind of all stopped together. And um, one of the most godly servant-hearted guys that I've ever met said oh you guys talking about the Middle East stuff and he just said he just looked at me and he said that will never be fixed and I was like wow coming from you who's such a hopeful guy you know he's right in some ways there's so much um many years of conflict and and suffering and pain there that by a worldly standard it's very hard not to to feel hopeless about that situation. And I mean, these are not the only two wars going on in our world today. There's so many wars going on. There's feelings of hopelessness about our physical world. I know I've had to teach um, about climate change and, you know, the destruction of our world at school. And so many of the kids are like, oh, do we have to do this? This is so depressing. 
and they always say, and it's your fault, your generation's fault as well. Um, and I think there is that feeling, particularly amongst the younger generation, of a hopelessness about our physical world. We all know that self-promotion, uh, self-interest is promoted. Um, you're a fool if you put someone else before you. Uh, corruption is rife in our culture, but also in cultures overseas as well. And there's a sense of godlessness, that godless people are often in power and we feel like they're in control sometimes. And more and more, being a Christian is kind of something that you should hide and be ashamed of. Um, and just general unhappiness. I was looking through the statistics and it's just as simple as one in five people experience depression in our, our country. Now, before you say, wow, what a great pick-me-up, Mel, thanks for the inspiring message this morning. Obviously, there's great stuff going on in our, in our um, world as well. There's beautiful creation, there's amazing um, animals and landscapes and beautiful people who do great things. And, you know, I'm, we could easily find great stories of human resilience and kindness and all that sort of stuff. But I think overall, there is that feeling that our world is a bit of a disaster and things are particularly without God they they can be quite feel quite overwhelming and depressing but my encouragement after all that today is that the God of grace and power who came to Mary's world is still the same God today we know in Hebrews it says God is the same yesterday today and forever the God who sent his son as a vulnerable baby baby to a worthless virgin in a worthless town, is still the same God today. He still loves his world and his people. He's still very much involved in it. Do we understand what he's doing sometimes? No, definitely not. But like Mary, let's keep our eyes on him. Let's watch and wait and believe in his promises. Let's understand that God is still keenly interested, active and involved in our broken world. Why would he have sent Jesus to then go, nah, nah. I'm, I'm over them. Um, and I really pray that this Christmas we can be his maid servants and help to bring that good news and that hope that is so desperately needed to our world. This year I've been studying from the minor prophets um, and it's a lot of doom and gloom, I have to say, uh, because it's, it's, we sort of looked at kings and, and the, the corruption of the Israelites and the way that they disobeyed God and mingled with the cultures around them and worshipped other gods um, and a lot of the message through the minor prophets is God is giving you a chance turn back to him and then of course the people don't turn back to him and then they're basically told well your world is going to be obliterated and heaps of you guys are going to be taken by the Babylonians and taken off um, to exile but throughout all of the minor prophets there's always these beautiful little glimpses of hope where God says Yep, you're going to be annihilated. It's going to be terrible. But my plan is that I will bring you guys back to Jerusalem and I will be with you. And that's what struck me the most, that God wanted to be with his people. And even though he was angry at them and he wanted to punish them, he wanted to have that restoration with them and he wanted to be with them. And I really believe that is the same God today in this story right here of Jesus is that he's saying, I want to be with you guys. I want to restore a relationship with you. And so I just wanted to read from Zephaniah, um, which talks about God's heart to bring his people back and to be with them. So I'll just finish with this. This is from Zephaniah 3, 14 to 20. 
Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem, for the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the King of Israel, will live among you. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty saviour. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I will gather you who mourn for the appointed festivals. You will be in disgrace no more. And I will deal severely with those who have oppressed you. I will save the weak and the helpless ones. I will bring together those who were chased away. I will give glory and fame to my former exiles, wherever they've been mocked and shamed. On that day, I will gather you together and bring you home again. And so my prayer for all of us is that we will understand this God who is a God of restoration and love this Christmas and that the message that's so familiar will become um, afresh to you again. Thank you. <laughs> 